as we look to the gospel this morning, my friends, we want to really, we're going to tear this gospel apart, this chunk of scripture I want to go over today. And we want to observe it, we want to interpret it and apply it to our lives. Whether here in the church or online, um, we're going to look at God's word together. And I believe God will continue to use us to spread his gospel. I believe that, the Bible says that. And I trust that he will provide for us today and for the future so we can touch those that have never heard the name of Jesus and we can be fearless in our convictions to carry on with that great commission. So these are very interesting times. You know, there's people out there that felt they have lost hope in our, in our community, in our society, in the world at large. Um, now I have a friend who's a believer in Jesus Christ, a solid believer, colleague I work with, and follow paramedic. And this person said to me, hey, uh, you know, Dwayne, I, I think there's no hope for the world. And I thought, well, that's a little odd. But that's, you know, just, that's okay. You know, we have these conversations. So, and I asked them why they felt this way. Well, you know, when you ask a question, you know, people start really going, peppering you with questions, right? Nonstop, just keep coming at you. And it's, it, when people, you know, when I ask a question or when you ask a question and they start asking you a question in results to that, to these things, it, it's, it's really, you don't really get the answer, okay? And when, when they do that, that's a thing called the Socratic method. And it's quite annoying because I just want to answer the question. Like I just want, I just want to get the message out. I just want to answer the question. So it's supposed to provoke deeper thinking. I just think it's a nuisance. But anyway, you guys know me. I like to have meaningful conversation with people. We'll go down that path and I'll answer your question. So this believer this I work with, he says, like, how does the scripture, how does the power in the scripture provide comforts in time of needs and homelessness or helplessness? Because I don't feel that way. And say, life's taking a toll on me, right? And like, God doesn't seem to be supporting me. It doesn't feel like it, Okay. Why is he giving me more than I can handle? I don't understand that. He's supposed to provide for me. Why is he giving me more than I can handle? And he's letting me down. Why is God letting me down? So those are some pretty, they're fair questions. They're pretty direct and uh, that's okay. So I had this conversation. It took me back a bit because we're on shift you know, and the page is going off and I'm trying to think about how to answer these questions at the same time I'm rolling out to calls. So, you know, and, and they're good questions. But as believers, we need to turn to the scripture. We need to turn to God's word to hear what the Bible says about this. Because the Bible will give us all the answers. They will give us, there's no doubt in there. It is written in that book. There is only one book we need. That is the Bible. Okay. So if you have your Bibles handy... Okay, let's, let's look at the scripture, okay? Well, let's take a look at this, look at God's word, and let's see what it says about hope, okay? Let's unpack these verses. So we're going to look at, uh, go to the book of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. So whatever translation you have, that's fine. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. It's near the back of the Bible, if you're not sure where it's at. Okay, it's close to the, book of, the three books of John. So we'll look at this, my friends, we'll observe the scripture, we'll interpret it, and we'll apply the scripture and how we're supposed to apply the scripture to have a better understanding, okay? And for thus as believers and for those that have never heard the word or the name of Jesus Christ. So let's look at 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 12, and we'll look at what God's word has to say to us, okay? So this is God's almighty word. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. May God bless the reading of his perfect word. Now, the book of 1 Peter... Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting book, right? Um, to kind of give a little context, just to kind of, so it kind of makes sense. Um, we, we can verify, yes, Peter is the author, right? And it's justified, like not really in the, you don't go according to the title of these things, but it's more of, because when we start looking through the book, right? We start looking through that, that piece of the scripture, uh, because it notes he was an eyewitness to the sufferings of Christ. We see this in first Peter five. Verse 1. So he was there. He was an eyewitness. And then when we think about who he was writing to, right? So he's writing to those in, in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Okay, now these folks were Gentiles that were not exiled from their home, so to speak, but they were kind of spread out. When you hear the Bible, they say they're exiled, they're spread out. It's not like they've been kicked out of their house, they've been spread out. To bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody they come in contact with. Now, it is a time of suffering for Christ. For the glory of Christ for his word. And there is an overwhelming message to persevere in the sufferings. Okay? For the glory of God. Because that is really all that matters. So, let's unpack these verses okay there's a lot going on here and i'm going to kind of we're going to go over it together and then we can understand what the gospel message is trying to say through first peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 12 so let's look at verses 3 to 5 i like to kind of recap the verses just so we're all on the same page and what does it say it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, a lot going on there, okay? I just want to reiterate those verses again. So, verse 3. Now, that verse 3 packs 
a huge punch, okay? It's, it's really a sledgehammer of truth, okay, that just comes pounding down. It is so, when we look at the words, like, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like, that is a massive, incredible message right there. And you know what? We could really have a sermon on this, uh, on this verse alone. And if it sounds familiar, that's because it is. Okay, because Corey preached on this a few weeks ago. On that one particular verse. Okay? And then when I, were, I was planning on doing this sermon a while before, and I said to Corey, like, should I be going over at this again? Like, you know, and he's always, the, the, you know, he says, you know, if I'm wondering, should I repeat this? You know? And as we will see, and he says, no, no, keep going. And as we'll see, as we go through this journey, through this chunk of scripture together, okay, there's a lot to unpack. And it's going to all tie together. I promise I will make it make sense. So, this verse really springboards us, if you will, to the other verses that follow. Okay? Peter says, and he talks about the fact that we have a merciful God. Why do we have a merciful God? Because he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. That sinners like you, and you, and you and me. He gave us Christ. He gave us new life in Christ. And how did he do this? It says in the scripture, it caused us to be born again. And how are we born again? Okay, well, it's through the belief and the faith and going forward and living your life for Jesus Christ. This is a powerful message. Like this just, this just cannonballs us right out into the other verses. Like it's, it's huge, right? And I mean, it's faith because of the risen Christ. We do not serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. Paul says in the book of Romans... Romans 6 verse 4, he's talking to the church in Rome. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. Our old self is gone when we go through the waters of baptism. That old self is gone. That old self is dead. We are born again. We are anew. We are fresh we are fresh and alive in Christ. The fact that he gave us his son for our sins, all of our sins, mine, yours, everybody's, it doesn't matter, shows that is the salvation, my friends. And that's because of God's mercy, because of God's grace. And he has the sovereignty, and that is mirrored through Christ because of the spilled blood on Calvary where he defeated sin, Satan, and death that day. He promised us eternal life. He promised this to us for all that are willing to accept this gift. It's free. It, there's no cost to it. The, the cost is following Jesus. It, it is literally free. You don't have to bring your visa out. Nothing like that. Okay? It's ready to go. And we do not deserve this gift. Okay? But Christ became the perfect atonement for our sins. And he took the wrath on the cross. And he was sinless. We deserve that cross. We deserve to be hung on the cross. We deserve to be separated from God. But he intercedes for us. And the scripture says that. The Bible describes Christ as the perfect offering. The Paschal Lamb. Okay? One without blemish. That would be acceptable. The only thing that would be acceptable and pleasing to God. To spare our eternal separation from him. Thanks be to Christ. Because we would not, we would be completely separated from God, and that is the worst thing that could possibly happen. So now let's look at verse 4. It speaks to an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this hope, when we, when we look at the description, it's an inheritance. Now, when we think about the Old Testament, kind of stepping back, okay? Uh, when they think about inheritance, it would generally point to the promised nation of Israel, you know, the promised land, to the people of Israel, right? However, the Old Testament also points to a greater inheritance. And it says this in verse 4, which is reserved in heaven for the people of the new covenant, the believers in Jesus Christ. Okay? And those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Those are three big words. Nothing can take it away. It can't be tarnished. Okay? There's nothing can extinguish this secure inheritance. Nothing. Paul justifies this when he's speaking to the church in Colossus. He says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, which is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, my friends, is the basis of hope through his words. Jesus did not give us a false gospel. He did not. His words are the truth. Everything he said came to happen. He is the son of man, and he said he must suffer many things. And he did. When, you, when we think about what he endured before he was going to the cross on Golgotha, before he was going up to Calvary, he was not recognizable as a man. They beat him and tortured him senselessly. It was terrible. Okay, he was, and then the, not only the physical aspect, but it was the, emo, the emotional aspect. Right out of the gate when he was there, he was rejected by the elder, elders, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And it's really sad because it is sad you see that they didn't accept him. Very, very sad. Okay? Uh, and he said... That he was going to be, he was going to be killed. He spoke to his death. He spoke to the suffering he was going to go through. And he said he would be raised on the third day. And when he was raised on that third day, the stone was rolled away. The linen cloth was there. It was folded neatly. It wasn't just flopped all over the place. It was folded neatly, right? Mary found this, okay? She was at that empty grave. The stone was rolled away. The angel appeared. Christ appeared. And this is the inheritance that he has promised to us. He said he would go to be suffered. He said he would be tortured. He said he would be killed. And he said he would be raised on the third day. And he was raised on the third day. There is no doubt. The Bible speaks to that. It is complete truth. Let's look at verse 5. I like to put these three verses together. So it states, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This verse starts to build on the fact that we do have an inheritance, my friends, and that we do have hope in a living Savior, not a dead Savior. He is alive. He can't be any more alive. He is alive. He's watching over us. He's interceding for us. He's defending us all the time. And that verse shows that he's protecting not just believers that Peter's speaking to directly, but to us He's speaking to us, like the believers at the time. He's speaking to the believers in the future. He's speaking to everyone that accepts the name of Jesus Christ. And we observe that there is a provision, the strength which this is based on. It's God, it's God's infinite power. God will sustain us till the end. It states this, to be revealed in the last time. He will sustain us as believers. Now, sometimes our strength wanes. We are humans. That is normal. That is, a, that is one of the things of being human is that 
We are not immortal. We are not uh, superhuman at all. Now, sometimes when our strength wanes, right, there are trials and tribulations that we go through as believers. But when we look to Hebrews, we look at the author of Hebrews 12, verse 11. What does it say? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. I have a t-shirt. It says weight training, but not W-E-I-G-H-T, W-A-I-T, okay? And it's not like pounds or kilograms, it's physically weighting, okay? And what does it say? It quotes Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Sometimes, my friends, it seems the Lord has given us more than we can handle, okay? But when we wait upon him, we rely upon him, we be faithful in the spiritual battle, he does provide. And we are guarded through our faith when we put on the armor of God. Let's carry on verses 6 and 7. So what does it say? It, it's, it's a little, it starts to make sense here, okay? So it says, in this you rejoice, thou know... Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though tested in the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, as believers, my friends, uh, the resurrected body of Christ, we have joy, okay? The, uh, it's kind of mingled and mixed in with a little bit of grief, but that's okay. Because there are going to be challenges. There, there is going to be trials as we move throughout our lives. Whether physical or more importantly spiritual. And when we look at verse 6 where it says, Thou know, Though now, excuse me, though now for a little while. It seems when we're in the middle of it, like it doesn't end. Like minutes seem like hours and we're in it up to here. And we're thinking like we're almost drowning. I can't take it. My faith is weak. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm struggling here. Okay, but when we look ahead, this is the Bible, it, just, it builds it forward. And this, this is why it works this way. We look at verse 7. It speaks to the fact that our faith in Christ is more precious than anything. Okay, one of the most precious metals on the face of the earth, and the Bible uses this, is gold. It says it repeatedly, gold, gold, gold. And then the Bible says in here, it will not tarnish. It will not be burned up in the fire. And our faith will not perish. Our faith has a great reward, which is a revelation or the return of King Jesus. He's coming back. That The Bible says that. I believe that. As believers, we believe that. We put all our hope and faith and trust in Christ. The Bible says we are supposed to be thankful and revel in our trials. Not just our triumphs, in our trials. We're supposed to be thankful for everything, good or bad, the Lord has given us. Count them as a celebration of faith, the Bible says. James 1, James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We are not shorthanded. We have the ace in our pocket and that is the faith and trust in Jesus Christ because we have given our lives to him. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He deserves all the glory and the honor. Not us, but we need to have faith in Christ. Praise Jesus Christ that he is coming back. 
He is on his way. We don't know when, but he's coming. That's for sure. And as we read through verses 8 and 9, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Thomas, like Thomas, he had seen Jesus before he was with him, right? He was one of the apostles before his death and after. And he still had a hard time. He said, I don't believe him. I got, unless I stick my hand in his side or put my fingers in the holes of his hands. Right? It's, it's ridiculous. He saw him and he still didn't believe. His faith was wailing. But, you know, as we see in John 20, it says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. We have not physically seen the Lord Jesus. We have not physically... We haven't said, hey, Jesus, how you doing? He's not right there. We have physically not seen him, okay? But we have faith nonetheless because the Bible speaks of the pure truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter speaks about joy, and it's, not, it's reserved for when G, King Jesus returns. We're joyful now, right? We should be joyful now because we have hope in a risen Savior. He is not dead. He's alive, and he's active, and he's moving, and he's interceding for us with the Father. Even now, we love him because we believe in him and we rejoice in the fact that we are saved through the sacrifice on the cross. And this joy is inexpressible. We should be just, just counting our blessings nonstop and just expressing ourselves as loud as we can. And we know one day we will be face to face with him. And we can say, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for giving your life for a sinner like me. We will be able to cast the crowns at his feet for the work we have done for him and say, thank you, Jesus. It's because of you I'm able to do this. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, through the scripture alone, for the glory of God alone that we have the ability to do this. We do not deserve the grace that he has given us. We deserve the cross. I said that we deserve the cross. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve all the punishment for our sins that we have committed. But Jesus took it upon himself because he loves us. The Father loves us. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Through him. That is it. We have that freedom. It's only through him that our sins are forgiven because his blood was the perfect atonement for our sins. It's washed away. Okay? And it's only through him that we will not be separated from the great I am. Okay? It's the end result, as we see in that verse, okay, eternal salvation, the completion of God's saving work. We hear this echoed when Paul speaks in Rome and he says, but... Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. The end of it is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's move on to verses 10 and 11. We think about this concerning our salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating that he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, 
when you look at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is incredibly important, right? Like there's, there's 39 books in there. And when you start looking at it, sometimes it's a little bit confusing. The time periods seem to kind of jump all over the place. They overlap. Okay, it talks about the kings of Israel. It talks about Judah. It talks about their families a lot. Okay, the genealogies. But when we sift through the confusion, okay, the Old Testament prophets spoke about the coming of the future Messiah. They also spoke about his suffering and, his, and the eternal security. They didn't know when Jesus was coming, the Messiah rather, they, they, but they knew he was coming. They knew he was going away, they just didn't know when. Okay, And they were told this by, by the God the Father Almighty, right through the prophets. Now, sometimes this was a vision, sometimes it was a dream, sometimes it was by a direct conversation with a messenger of God. Okay, When we look at Daniel, Daniel 3, we, uh, there's a, what happens here, this is about the fiery furnace, right? So verses 24 and 25. It's about the fiery furnace, right? And so there's a direct theophany. A theophany means an actual witnessing of something happening like this is actually happening okay it's almost like a it's like a it's like a vision but not really like this is really taking place now if you're not familiar with daniel 3 uh nebuchadnezzar who is the king of babylon put mishael hananiah and azariah into the furnace for not bowing down to worship the image that was created in him because they believe that when you are the king babylonian king you are your god you are a god okay so now, most Bibles, like, you know, when they start looking at this, they say Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. That was the name, those were the names that they were renamed by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And I'm not sure about anybody here, okay? But sometimes when I read the Old Testament, the names start to blend. So you have all these things, and just, here's a little Bible, Bible study tip for you. So we're going to remember these names. Easy way to remember this, those Babylonian names. So Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Make a bed, shake a bed, into bed we go. Just something easy to remember. That way you'll remember it. There's your Bible study quick acronym right there. Okay. Just trying to help you out. Okay. Okay, but, it's, but, it's, but remember, their, their Jewish names were Meshach, Hananiah, and Azariah. So make a bed, shake a bed, into bed we go. Very straightforward. That's the way I do it. But anyway, but, what the, the, but the whole point of this is, is that when Nebuchadnezzar was looking in that furnace, they were bound in there, they're all covered in oil, they lit that thing up, there was a fourth person. They're looking in there, well, who's that fourth person? What's going on? And it says in, in Daniel 3, verses 24 and 25, Nebuchadnezzar says, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered the king, true, O king. And he answered, but I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of gods. Okay? So who was this? That's King Jesus. He's there. He's in the fire with Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah. Not bake a bed, shake a bed, and a bed we go. He's in there with his people. And he is he's protecting them. There is hope. Even when it, you feel you're in the pit, they're in a furnace being lit on fire. And Christ is there. It doesn't get much more hopeful than that. Like, your, your life's there. So, we also see, this is all peppered throughout the Old Testament. So many predictions of the Messiah coming. We look at the book of Micah, and it speaks about judgment, hope, and promise throughout his life. And he states, there will be a future for Israel and the world at large. We see Micah 5, verses 1 to 3, it says, Now, muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return, O people of Israel. So this is speaking to the coming of the Messiah. Sometimes it's hard to sift through this, but it's speaking to the coming of the Messiah. One of the more well-known verses is of the suffering servant. Okay, it, Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 5. It speaks so crystal clearly to the coming of the Messiah. But more important is the sacrifice for our sins, for all of mankind. We see this in Isaiah where he states, He was despised and rejected by men. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, all the scribes, the chief priests, this is speaking to Christ of his sufferings he's starting to go through. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Christ grieved over our sins. That's why he was, came here, was to suffer for us. He knew that man was lost. And from one who men hid their faces, they didn't want to see him, they didn't believe who he was. He was despised. We see that. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. They wanted nothing to do with him. They thought this guy's nuts. We don't know who this guy is. And surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. We go through trials in our lives. Christ went through the ultimate trial. Psychological, spiritual, and physical. Okay? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed he was beaten he did not look like a man it, it was it was terrible it, it was terrible he was ripped apart okay and it shows he took that wrath his bones were broken his his skin his flesh was shredded he had a crown of thorns pushed into his skull not just in the skin those thorns went into the skull so that was poking into his, into his skull. Like he was tortured beyond belief. King Jesus, oh, King Jesus what? Sorry, sorry about that. King Jesus was rejected. He was the bearer of all our griefs. He experienced sorrow like no one else through his entire life. He bore the sins of the people of the past and the present and the future. Even though he himself was innocent. He did nothing wrong. He was perfect. He was sin free we understand that the spirit of christ is the holy spirit who is speaking through these prophets we understand that as believers so many of the verses in the old testament as we see speak to the coming of christ let's look at our last verse let's look at our last verse it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look again the Old Testament prophets knew the Messiah was coming they didn't know when he was coming but they knew there was a future Savior coming okay um, and that he's writing for all of us those on both sides of the cross all believers everybody believers and unbelievers like there is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ so when we look at 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 12, what does it teach us? How do we apply this to our lives? So there's a couple things I just want to talk about here real quick. Is there a command to obey? Yes, there is. 
The words in the Bible are a message of God recorded specifically so that we can teach others. And the Bible offers us strength in comfort in times of need through our faith in Jesus Christ. We see this in the book of Romans. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We need to read these words, my friends, and by doing this, we will see the instructions the Lord has given us. We have hope because the words are living proof of a living Savior. Not a dead Savior, a living Savior. Is there a promise to claim? Yes, there is. We see that God doesn't give up on us. He does not. He will bend us. He will challenge us, but He won't break us. And sometimes He'll push us to a limit that we may think is too much, but he gives us strength nonetheless. He gives us strength. He promises that he will empower and strengthen, establish, and most of all, restore us so we are complete. First Peter 5 verse 10 says, And after you have suffered a little while by the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The promise that God will restore all of us who have suffered for the sake of Christ, we see that. Though suffering will come at first, it will be followed by eternal glory. He promises us grace, that he will strengthen us, that we are able to endure to the end until he calls us home. The Bible is clear on that. And there's one more, there's one more. Is there a challenge to face? Yes, life is a challenge, right? It is difficult, it can be difficult, but we are we are never alone. Holding steadfast to the word of God and keeping faith in him, even when it seems there is no hope, is the challenge. Spiritual strength, spiritual warfare. We need to put on that whole armor of God. We need to be strong for God. We need to do the Great Commission. And we need to, we need to just constantly worship and drive glory to his name. And we do have hope. And that is in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see the comforting words of David. In Psalm 62 where he says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. We put all our hope in Christ alone because Christ is enough. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we have hope in a risen Savior. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We do not deserve the grace, but you gave it to us freely in your Son. We do have the promise of eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ when we worship him and put all our hope and trust in a risen Savior. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for the congregation. We thank you for what you're going to do for us. And we ask for strength and guidance and wisdom as we bring these words to those that may not have heard the precious name of Jesus Christ. And we love you, Jesus, and we praise you, Jesus. And we ask all this in his beautiful name. Amen.